Right, now if you have your Bibles with you, um, we're in that tiny little book called uh, Philemon. It's right after the book of Titus. If you don't know where it is, it's literally one page in my Bible. Um, so yeah, that's why we call it the short summer sermons. Those shorts are actually two scale. Philemon is in fact the longest book that we're going to be preaching through. Uh, it gets a little shorter in Second John uh, and then Jude, at our final one, will be a little longer. Um, and so yeah, Philemon week two. Um, and so before I jump into this sermon, I do want to tell just quick, two quick stories. I want you to pay very careful attention because I think that um, it'll only make sense uh, halfway or sort of through the sermon. Um, so let me, let me start off with the first story. The first story is, uh, it happened maybe six, six, seven years ago. I actually remember telling the story in Mercy Commons when I was preaching there a number of years ago. And uh, there's a coffee roaster here in, in Pickering, actually, Pickering Ajax area, and um, they roast coffee. They have relationships with the farms that they get the beans from. And so the, the, the owner was sharing a story with me about going to these farmhouses. Um, I think it was in Colombia. And uh, very simple homes, you know, a one-room shack, really. We're quite familiar with that sort of setup in South Africa as well. Understand, you know, it's a simple life, often the workers uh, on the farm. And he was sharing with me just how moved he was um, by how they responded to him as a Torontonian wealthy person, certainly in their eyes, stepping into their homes. And he said, I had to literally like bend down and step into their homes, no windows, you know, that's kind of how AC works there, maybe cooking on an open fire inside of their homes. And he understood the humble position that they were in, but what moved him most was how they responded to him being willing to step in to their home. Now, credit to him, he was very self-aware because he realized this misconception that somehow they think that he is far more important than they might be. But he realized, listen, I'm human, just like them. You know, I got two arms, two legs, I got eyes, I got a nose. Like, there's a lot of similarities here. And, and that's why he was so humbled by their response to the fact that he was willing to step into their home. So number one is, like, I do think he was right that, of course, status and wealth can really mess up our sort of human value matrix, you know, like the way we attribute uh, value to somebody is wealth and status messes that up, okay? But I also responded to this person. He's not a Christian, and often I've wanted to share the gospel with him, and he's a chatter mouth, and he would change direction very quickly. And I, as he shared that moment, I said, do you know what? I said, the real wonder as well is that God would step into our homes the way you step. That's why we as Christians are so we love God so much because it's not just that he, an incredible God, the king of the universe, steps as a king into our home, but he puts on our clothes. He took, he took on flesh. I said to him, that's why Christians love Jesus so much. And for the first time, the guy had nothing to say. He just stared at me. We just stared at each other for a moment. And I said, like, I've got him. I've got him for the first time. So that's the first story I want to share with you, the sort of human value, um, you know, matrix and status and wealth, how that plays out. The next story, maybe it's not a story, it's more like a question that I want to ask you, and that is, have you ever been hurt, like physically, you've been hurt, uh, you stood on, I don't know, a Lego block, or you've been angered, somebody cut you off, um, but in that moment that this took place, you were surrounded maybe by your children, or some children, uh, or you were surrounded by your parents-in-law, I don't know, you know, how they see you, or maybe you were surrounded by your boss, or somebody significant enough to curb your 
response in that moment. You know, as you stepped on it, you were like, oh, for crying in a bucket. You know, you, what you say is carefully crafted. You know, heavens above or mother, father. You know, uh, how, what, you, you, get, you get what I'm trying to say. Is, is that you could go somewhere, but because of your surroundings, somehow it just curbs how you respond. This morning we were actually on the beach, and I, and I remember, uh, you know, my friends Nick and Vanya here and their kids. They come from DC. They're South Africans. They're visiting us for the weekend, and we were watching uh, a windsurfer go out, and and we saw him fall quite far out into it. And I said to him, "I bet you he's 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 spewing out a couple of interesting words right now," you know. And, and the same thing actually happened at home. We were all sitting as a family on our porch, two hammocks on either side, and, and Nick was in the one hammock just enjoying it, and one of my kids decided to open the window right next to Nick, and Nick was like, whoa, and he said, man, if there weren't kids over here, I think I may have said something else. So those two stories I want you to keep in the back of your mind as we're going to read all of Philemon now. Is that okay? It'll make sense in a moment. So let's jump into the scriptures. Philemon Chapter 1, because it's the only chapter, we're going to read from start to finish. So follow along on the screen if you can. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you? both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident, of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. 
this is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this amazing letter. Help us to learn from it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so a bit of context. As you heard last week, Ryan preached, did a great job, but Paul is writing this uh, letter in prison. Uh, he talks about his cell buddies here, Epaphras. Um, there's also another one, if you see um, the letter to Colossians, he's also there with uh, a guy called Aristarchus. And uh, Epaphras, the one that he mentions in this letter, is a fellow Colossian. So this letter is written to Philemon, and Philemon's in Colossae. And uh, uh, Epaphras, like Onesimus, the person that Paul speaks about here, the bondservant in this letter, they actually helped plant the church there in Colossae. And um, as we read here, uh, the word Timothy is used. The guy Timothy, he's probably Paul's scribe, um, and he mentions the guy uh, Onesimus. But Tychicus, you'll find him in Colossians chapter 4 as well, is actually the person that traveled with Onesimus to deliver this letter, a personal letter to Philemon, one we've just read, and then a, a corporate letter to the church in Colossae. And uh, as we could read uh, between the lines here, Onesimus is actually a thieving runaway slave. He was a property of Philemon, a bondservant. Uh, it seems like he came to faith under Paul's ministry, and, uh, and you know, he found himself in Rome where Paul was imprisoned. And uh, you know, commentators say that Onesimus had enough money, he stole some money from uh, Philemon, that's why he could pay his way to Rome and, and, uh, and live there for a season. And Paul is writing this letter to Philemon. Last week's big idea was to bring reconciliation between the two. He's really wanting his friend Philemon to receive Onesimus back. And I would encourage you to listen to Ryan's message last week to get the full, uh, the full idea. It's an amazing book. It's 12, um, uh, 25 verses, but 12 times Paul references Jesus he references God. And so, so few verses, so many mentions of, of Jesus and God. It means that it's, it's filled with theology that underpins his personal request. Okay, and so we're going to learn a little bit more as we jump into these verses today. So three big points I'm going to leave with you today. The first one is that the gospel raises the lowly and it humbles the haughty. And maybe that's in line with just the confession reflection moment that we had in our time of singing today. How as we thought about ourselves, perhaps as haughty people, people who, who could turn our nose up at people that are uh, of, of, a, of a lowly status. Um, Galatians chapter 3 verse 28, I'm going to read that, but Paul writes there that in Jesus, in Christ, there's no longer Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female. He talks about the equality that we have in Jesus. That's what the gospel brings. In 1 Timothy 6, I love how Paul charges Timothy. He, he says to them, he says, tell the rich people in your community to not to be haughty and to be generous and to look out for the lowly. Okay? So they're, 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 because in society, certainly when Paul was writing this letter, you should pick it up that actually people's worth that, that ran along the lines of wealth and status, how you were perceived by others, wealth and status, um, your nationality, your gender, they were very hard lines, and you were either up there or down there, depending on where you found yourself. And the gospel shook up society when Jesus uh, you know, saved people and the church was birthed through the outpouring of the Spirit. The church looked completely different to the society, where those lines were drawn you know, around gender and around wealth and around status and around nationality. Those lines got blurrier and blurrier as the gospel did its work. And so... Elements of 
Paul's letter, actually, that was written here to Philemon, I know it, it historically uh, laid a foundation for the abolition of slavery, slavery later on uh, in, in, uh, in history. But Paul actually doesn't challenge slavery overtly in this book at all. He actually highlights, highlights the reality of the equality that the gospel brings. And, um, and, and that's, uh, you know, he's, he's basically... Uh, re- referencing what he wrote in Galatians, if you read between the lines, and um, and and that reality, the gospel that brings equality, is what underpins this letter. So it raises the lowly and it humbles the haughty, and that's true of how God treats us. Uh, he he shows no favoritism. He, he doesn't do that at all. God cares for individuals regardless of their status. And, and he wants actually the rich and the poor to interact with each other in a completely different way than what broken society was, was accustomed to, or at least was, was being modeled. And I love just how pastoral Paul is. So the word pastor means shepherd, so he's caring even in the way that he writes this letter. I love Paul does not identify himself as an apostle here. Often Paul would kick off his letters by just just reminding everybody of what God's called him to do and and to be, and that's to be an apostle, to carry spiritual authority. He doesn't do that in this letter. And why doesn't he do that? Well, I think he's, of course, writing a personal letter to a friend, Philemon, he doesn't have to pull the, the rank card, okay? When we hang out with our friends, we don't expect our friends to refer to us with our professional terms, you know, Dr. Nick or whatever it is. It's like just Nick, it's okay. So I think that's what's going on here, but I think he's also incredibly caring towards Onesimus because Onesimus is carrying this letter as well <laughs> to Philemon. And I think Paul is describing himself in a language that suggests a low social status. He loves to call himself a prisoner. He's basically saying, you know, I'm in, I'm in prison. I mean, you know, when, you know when, when you admit that, it's like people immediately go, oh, why? What's, what's going on here? You know, you, sh- you shouldn't be there. I mean, we know he's there for the gospel. But he's quite happy to not go the apostle route and just say, Paul, a prisoner. And I think it's because he wants to identify with Onesimus, who indeed has a very low social status. I mean, he's a slave. He's a bondservant. And it's amazing that Paul actually doesn't even use the term doulos, which is the, the, um, the Greek word for bondservant, that he often uses in other letters. He doesn't use that of himself because I think he's being sensitive because he's writing about a bondservant. And so I think Paul is incredibly pastoral. And so even here, Paul with his spiritual authority, he is taking, he's taking the high road by going lower. Does it make sense? Does it make sense? He's humbling himself in even how he refers to himself in this letter. Regarding Onesimus, this bondservant, how does the gospel equalize him in terms of Philemon, his, his owner, his boss? Well, Paul is, you know, he's, he's very clever. He, he, he obviously refers to Philemon as a servant of the Lord. Like Paul, you know, Philemon came to faith probably under Paul's ministry. Um, you know, his ch- the church meets in his house. And so, yeah, Philemon is a Christian. He serves the Lord. Um, and then Paul says, well, Onesimus now has come to faith under my ministry here in prison. So Onesimus now serves the Lord too. And so just logically, you can go, okay, well, if Philemon serves the Lord and Onesimus serves the Lord, wait a minute, they're both servants of the Lord. That's the first way it, it equalizes the two. It's quite amazing. Second level is the one of family. He refers to him as a brother. 
He says he's now become a brother. Why? Because Jesus is your big brother too, and God is your father. And so that's the second way. Number one, you serve the Lord. He serves the Lord. Number two, you're both brothers in the kingdom where God is each of your fathers. And then each of your father. Each, you know what I'm saying. Number three, if you understand the gospel, if you spend some time uh, uh, double-clicking on how salvation takes place, both Onesimus and Philemon were saved on the basis of grace, not merit, okay? Neither of their statuses contributed because you can think, well, Philemon is very wealthy, and so, you know, he, he bought his Christianity, you know? Clear, you know, he's, he's, he's an important person in society. That's not how he got saved. His wealth didn't contribute. Um, Onesimus, who's a slave, his, his, uh, his status didn't uh, conjure up pity from the Lord. And he saved him because, uh, let's feel bad for him. It's, again, on the basis of grace. Because actually Onesimus, before a holy God, as well as Philemon, before a holy God, both are sinners. And their sin needed to be paid for by Jesus. And he did that as a free gift. They received it by grace. And so the third way that the gospel equalizes them is that neither of their statuses contributed. Not the wealth of Philemon and not the, the, the maybe the pity-inducing status of, of, um, of Onesimus. It's a sheer grace that they both can now be brothers in God's family. And then Paul, you know, the last one, if you read between the lines, is he, is he says that, that they're in Christ. Because he says, I want you to receive Onesimus the way you would receive me. And he's tipping his hat towards the theological reality that we are in Christ. And when God receives us, he receives Christ because we are in Jesus as, as if Jesus is standing before a holy father. And so Paul is using that language of saying, when Onesimus comes to you, it's as if I'm coming to you. Okay. And so those are the four levels. The serving of the Lord, the family, basis of grace, and the fact that they both are in Christ. Isn't the gospel powerful? It's amazing that it makes this slave Onesimus. It makes him a brother, but it also makes him a partner in the gospel, co-laboring. It makes him someone who is without debt in a way, even to the point where Paul is saying, if he owes you anything, I'll pay it. He's like, I'll cancel his debt. And then to the furthest extent where it even makes the master, Philemon, indebted to the slave, where he, in a sense, owes him some freedom. That's how, that's how powerful the gospel is in a society where that just does not happen. Isn't it amazing how the gospel raises the lowly and humbles the haughty? It's incredible. And that's why Paul didn't need to play the apostle card. Because the realities of the gospel were so powerful. God has done such an incredible thing in both Philemon and Onesimus' life that Paul just needed to like reference those realities. And he knew the gospel would do the hard work. He didn't have to come down with like, hey, do you know who I am? Do what I say. It's powerful, isn't it? Number two, the gospel creates shepherd leaders and spirit-led followers. I've already mentioned the fact that Paul refers to him as a prisoner himself, not an apostle. And in writing to Philemon, who's, who's the person in who you know, the church meets in there, I'm pretty sure he was a leader to some extent, Philemon. Paul defers to the local church leaders there. It's the way that we invite authority in as a church it's not that when we have guest speakers in here when they're in here like we just say tell us what to do and you know whatever you say we'll do it's an invitation it's like we invite authority and that's kind of what's happening in this letter there's an 
I think, an invited authority that's taking place. Because leaders don't really, good leaders in the church, we don't want to tell people what to do. Do you know that? That's actually not why people step into leadership in a church. It shouldn't be. Some people maybe do, and I think that's a broken version of leadership. Leaders ultimately want people to do God's will, not our will. Our job is to put what Jesus wants for you in front of you and for you to see how glorious that is and to empower and enable you. The Bible says that, that the, the leaders in the church equip the saints for work of ministry. Our, our job is really just to, to paint God in the, the most beautiful light and His will and His ways and put it before you so that you would follow Him, that you would choose Him. It's not our agendas. It's God's agendas that we want people to sign up with. And this is clearly what Paul is wanting to do as well. But Paul is a shepherd leader, and he's trusting that Philemon is a spirit-led follower because that's what the gospel creates. Let me try and explain that a bit better. Paul here writes about the fact that he's bold and old, okay? (laughs) Those are two things he could have leaned on. He says, oh, no, I know I'm bold enough that I could call you out, Philemon, because this is the apostle Paul, okay? Most of the New Testament, he penned, right? The guy didn't have a problem with calling others out. And he said, I'm bold enough to do that. He says, I'm also old enough to do that. Scholars believe he's like in his 60s here. He's got ministry experience. And Paul didn't lean on the fact that he's got a strong personality and the fact that he's old and he can pull that like, hey, respect your elders thing. He, he said, no, instead, I'm going to lean on love. And I'm going to lean on the community. That's my last point. So we'll get there in a moment. But he leans on, on the fact that love, what Jesus has done in Philemon's heart, in their community, and what Jesus has done in Onesimus' life, that should be enough. So he's not coercing Philemon into anything. No compulsion there. He wants Philemon's consent when it comes to how he should treat Onesimus. And in many ways, Paul himself has already set the example let me, let me uh, tell you how I'm thinking. As I said, Paul led Onesimus, probably he led, led him to Jesus. And it's, it's kind of like a Joseph story in many ways, because he says, you know, this happened, for, he ran away from you, he stole your stuff, but it actually, it was bad, but God used it for good. So it's kind of like a, a Joseph story, where Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, and eventually he found himself in Egypt, and he became you know, the most powerful person there, and he saved his family when there was famine. It's like God used the bad, he turned it around for good. In many ways, the bad that Onesimus has done, God turned it around for good because he stumbled upon Paul's ministry, became a Christian, and now there's opportunity for reconciliation. So... He's, he's a changed man. And uh, Paul uses the word useful and useless in his letter. He's very clever because the word Onesimus means useful. And obviously, him stealing money and running away from his master, he became useless to his master. Very, very, you know, not just the fact that he did bad things, but that he's no longer around. He can't, you know, he can't, he can't serve him anymore. Um, and so Paul uses this amazing play on words. He says, I know... He was, he's useless to you, but he's become useful to me, and I trust he would be to you as well. And, uh, and now he's not just useful. He's also now a brother. He's in our family, okay? And so because of that, I just think about it, if it was me. Here's Onesimus. He becomes a Christian. I, Paul says even, I could have kept him. Paul said, like, I wanted him to stay with me. I wanted him to serve here with me. But he, Paul realizes, actually, then I would be stealing because Onesimus is your property, <laughs> 
Okay, so can you see how pastoral and how clever Paul is here? He's saying, no, actually, let me model that I'm, I'm not going to do what, you know, I, I might go, no, the guy's a Christian now, you know, let bygones be bygones, it's history, let him work with me, it's all, everything's fine now. He's like, no, no, actually, Onesimus, you need to go back. Firstly, because he's your master. Secondly, is you need to reconcile. You, you guys have got a relational issue. And so Paul needed Philemon's consent. He's, can you see how he's, he's, he's humbled himself, saying, like, the guy's, the guy's a changed man. I, could, I wanted to keep him, but actually, I wanted your consent. I, I, I'm deferring to you. It's amazing how he's a shepherd leader, and he's trusting that Philemon is a spirit-led follower. Because Paul also says, you know, he, he, he probably led Philemon to Jesus. I don't exactly, we don't know exactly the backstory. It's kind of speculative in this sense. But certainly Paul had a role that he played in Philemon's serving of Jesus. And he talks, you know, he uses a, a frank little statement, Paul, when he says, hey, not to mention you owe me your very life. You know, so it's, we kind of think that maybe, uh, you know, he's referring to the fact that you became a follower of Jesus because of my ministry. And Paul is kind of saying, eternal life, you can't really put a price on it. So whatever Onesimus owes you remember what god has done for you the debt you owed god and, and you know i was instrumental in you coming to faith he's that he, he wants philemon to see things in perspective but can you see paul is incredibly clever he is he's putting the realities of the gospel of what jesus has done he's putting it front and center in philemon and then he trusts that philemon would be led by the spirit to make the right decision there's no strong arming here really there's actually just maybe a little bit but, you know, Paul says he, he could have been more bold. So if you think this is strong arm, I think, you know, I'd love to meet Paul one day, you know. I think he's got a firm handshake to, be, to, you know, to, to use uh, an illustration. And Paul is asking Philemon and he's asking you and I, as, you know, as we read this letter, to sort of read between the lines. There is some code language here, you know. As he's, as he's writing this letter, uh, verse 20, he says he wants some benefit from him. What is that benefit? Verse 20 fun. 20 fun. It is a fun letter, isn't it? <laughs> verse 20 fun. And verse 21, he, um, he says, I trust you will do even more than what I'm, what I'm asking. What is that? Well, I do think he's trusting that Philemon probably would free Onesimus. But he's not saying it overtly. He's not because he is trusting that he's creating space and he's creating direction for Philemon to make a redemptive decision instead of giving formal orders. I think that's the tension that we have in a local church is that there is shepherd leadership. A shepherd does lead sheep, but there is a sense that you also are following Jesus as you've, been, you've got the Holy Spirit. You can hear the shepherd's voice. We're under shepherds ultimately, pointing you to the great shepherd. And so leadership is this tension where we don't, we can't force anybody to do anything, but we can facilitate the Holy Spirit at work in your life. It's, it's, just, it's this dance, okay? This interesting dance. And the, and the Bible encourages that leaders lead and followers follow. And it's a beautiful thing when it's done correctly. Okay, so that's point number two. Last point is that the gospel creates, uh, how did I write it? Third one. Oh, oh he's, he's not there. The third one is that the gospel creates community accountability. There we go. <laughs> it 
So although Philemon is a personal letter that, you know, he wrote it to, Paul writes it to, to his friend on a personal matter re- regarding Onesimus, it is actually not meant for Philemon's eyes only. As you start reading this letter, you, you know it's only 20-something verses, it's so short, but he mentions nearly a dozen other people in this letter. So I, hopefully you've been able to, you know, connect the first illustration about, you know, the, the coffee roaster stepping into the humble thing. That, that's point number one. It raises the lowly and it humbles the haughty. But that second illustration of a, of a, um, of, of a community or people around you kind of curbing your response is connected to this, this third point here. Paul is intentionally mentioning these other people because he, he's sending greetings to them um, because he, he understands that actually he, if he enlarges the recipients of this letter, he's holding Philemon accountable to the Christian community. Many believe in the, you know, right up front he's re- referencing his wife and his son uh, that are obviously members of his household in which the church meets. Um, but of course he's also referencing other people in this letter. And so He's holding Philemon accountable as those names are mentioned. He's creating a community that would hold him accountable. And he's therefore making it harder and harder for Philemon to respond negatively um, and just coming to this decision on his own, that actually he is invited into a community, I think, as he's, as he's kind of reading between, what is Paul actually asking of me that, that he's not the only person in isolation coming to that conclusion? Paul is saying, you're surrounded by the church, by, by followers of Jesus, and I want them to hold you accountable, and I want you to lean on them, in a sense, to discern what the will of the Lord is here. And Paul paints a beautiful historic picture of Philemon's life. He talks about how wonderful he, he knows him to be as a Christian, but then he also paints a futuristic picture. It's like in faith, Paul is saying, man, I know how good you're going to do. He's like, he's, he's kind of, you know, he's prophesying in a sense about Philemon's response, his Christian faith and his life. And he's therefore making it difficult for Philemon to take anything less than the high road of Christian behavior in terms of his response to Onesimus. Guys, I'm sorry, I just think Paul is flipping brilliant. <laughs> he's really, it's an incredible leadership lesson here. That he is, he is, he's leaning on all the good things that the gospel provides. And, and when I say all the good things, the last point means you, 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 and you. Because it's not just that we have this community and it's like, hey, watch how you behave, everyone's going to see it. We know that the gospel community also is a community where even if you don't know someone sees you out of line, we trust that you are bold enough in the Lord that you step up to someone and say, hey, buddy, that's out of line. You can't speak to that person that way. You can't hold a grudge against your brother or your sister. You need to be reconciled. Hey, I'm sorry, you're gossiping right now. Not for my ears. Go speak to that person directly. Actually, why are you so stingy? You don't give? What's up with that? You know what God has done for you? I think you should be more generous. That's the kind of community that we're in. The gospel creation accountable community. So we're not pretending in front of one another. We are being sanctified by, by the Holy Spirit at work in you and me. And Paul knows that this will be true if he just makes that letter slightly wider than between me and Philemon. It's like, buddy, the church around you will help you here as well. I think that's quite amazing. So there you go. Three points. Number one, it humbles the haughty, raises the lowly. Number two is that the gospel creates shepherd leaders like Paul and spirit-led followers 
uh, in a community. And lastly, it creates a community that, that op offers opportunity for genuine, healthy accountability so that we may do what Jesus wants us to do. Because sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus in this world, but we don't have to do it alone. We have one another to exhort and encourage one another, sometimes call each other out, but mostly it's just high fives. You can do it. I mean, that's the general flavor of what it means to be in a local church. It's not always like, oh, you should, you shouldn't. There's, there's just lots of joy and like, you can do this and God is for you. I mean, that's, that's what it's like. That's what we trust it should be like at least. So there you go. That's Philemon, Philemon in a nutshell. Two weeks, pretty short, but we're done. And I think the best way to respond is to take communion, you know. This is, this is, again, where we allow the gospel to transform us in ways, maybe it connects right back to that confession moment again, where we think of those that are lowly in and around us, maybe people in our neighborhood, people we drive past often. And maybe God is moving us today as we see of what Jesus did for us. He stepped out of off the throne of heaven. He became so low that he became a servant of us, the king of the universe, and, and, and this meal represents that, the blood that he shed, the body that he gave for you and me to move us to do the same to others, to be Philemon's in our own context where we notice the lowly and set them free and bring them out of darkness into light and all the other good things that Jesus does. So let's stand.